It's time for Cadillac on Call on News Radio 610 KONA. It's your chance to learn valuable health information right here in our community. Now, the host of Cadillac on Call, here's Jim Hall. Hey everyone, welcome to Cadillac on Call presented by the Cadillac Foundation. Each week we are here to bring you health and medical information important to our community. And for virtually all of the past two years, that time has been spent exclusively on the COVID-19 pandemic. As we come to you today, it's a milestone for our region. Two years ago this month, the Benton Franklin Health District assembled its incident command team to manage the public health response to the constantly changing developments with COVID. Today, we're going to spend our program getting the latest on where we stand with the virus, plus some reflection on the impact of COVID on public health, community health, mental health, and the overall learnings from this incredible time in our history. Our guests this evening, Heather Hale with the Benton Franklin Health District, Dr. Amy Person, the health officer with the health district. We're going to be joined in our second half by Andrew Rose. He's the incident commander for COVID response for the Washington State Department of Health. And finally, we'll have Kathy Christensen, an administrative nursing director with Cadillac Regional Medical Center. First up, as she has been most weeks of this program during the past two years, Heather Hill of the Benton Franklin Health District. Heather, first question, a week ago, our region was uh, touting the highest COVID rates or among the highest COVID rates in the country. This week, I understand it's much better news with the downward trend beginning to happen. Yeah, um, last week we we certainly were not excited to hear that we were making news for being one of the highest rates in the country. This week, things tend to look a little bit more promising um, in, in the fact that they're not actually spiking up anymore. Our rates are in Benton County. Um, we're at 2,677 per 100,000 for the 14 days, and Franklin County is at 3,405 uh, per 100,000 for 14 days. So that is definitely a decrease, a pretty significant decrease in both of these counties over the last um, couple of weeks. So we're headed in the right direction. But it's also extremely important to realize that this is an underestimate of the total number of positives in our community because we've really moved to a lot of in-home antigen testing, which um, it would be nice if people would report, and they can certainly do that, but we don't get good reports on those uh, positives. So we know that there are probably a lot more positives out there than what the data that we're able to produce actually reflect. A little bit of worry with this, and not to try and emphasize the the negative, so to speak, but we're now hearing mask mandates being lifted, but the rates are still very high, aren't they? Although I know the hospitalizations are also beginning to come down some. Right. Hospitalizations are coming down. But again, if, if you were to look at the graph over the last two years, be very cautious when you you think, great, things are heading the right direction. And honestly, they are heading the right direction, but we're still at a significantly higher rate than we ever have been during this pandemic, during this last two years. So Benton and Franklin County rates are still the highest, even today with them decreasing, than they have been in all of the last two years. So um, word of caution is, even as there are discussions about lifting mask mandates, understand that there is still significant risk that you can catch COVID 
And even though we talk about Omicron being a little less severe than some of the other strains that have come around, uh, yeah, our hospitalization rates may be decreasing, but people do continue to be hospitalized for COVID. People do continue to die of COVID. Um, as of the 4th of this month, we met, we uh, made the 600 people have died uh, data point here in Benton and Franklin County. And that's, that's a lot of people who have died over the last two years. And unfortunately, even though we are seeing a decrease in, in the data, it, it doesn't mean we're going to necessarily not see deaths anymore because we certainly will. Take a moment, if you will, to reflect on the past two years and just saying the past two years of this, uh, it has, certainly has been quite a roller coaster. Uh, if you could pick maybe one out or two, what are your most vivid memories? You know, I think one of my most vivid memories was uh, the day we opened up Incident Command and realizing um, we have a long road ahead of us. Did we ever think that it would actually go on for a couple of years and now into the third year? All of us maybe thought that we knew exactly how to take care of such things as a viral pandemic. This isn't 1918 anymore. Um, certainly we know how better to take care of things. And unfortunately, in many respects, history did kind of repeat itself from you know some of the messages that were disregarded that public health was trying to tell in 1918 during that flu pandemic. Again, um, a similar experience to uh, the COVID pandemic was happening with regard to, you know, disregarding public health messages and some of the misinformation that was being passed around. Um, so it's, it's been, especially for a public health nurse like me who's been involved for 38 going on 39 years, this has been one of the most significant two years of, of my professional career, that's for sure. I'm sure it has. And when was the most concerning time for you during the past two years? Um, I think the most concerning time is when we realized that case rates were going up so ever so quickly, and I can remember doing some reading about just how devastating this virus is to the internal body organs. I was doing some detailed reading about how exactly it affects your lungs and why it's so difficult to breathe and why ventilators don't work when people's lungs fill up. And I think that's when the reality hit me that this is a really, really bad virus and can do horrible things um, to people's body, even, you know, when you don't expect it, even to a healthy person. And I think that's when I really started to get concerned. Historically, I'd always worried as a public health nurse about the flu pandemic. And um, this one certainly... It has been one one for history of all time. We'll be looking back on this one a hundred years from now and going, oh my goodness, did we really survive that? And what did we learn? And I think that's the important thing is just like 1918, lessons learned at that time, we need to look at this uh, situation. What lessons have we learned as as an agency, as a community, a state, and, and all across the United States, because there certainly are a lot of lessons to be learned from this that maybe we could be better prepared in the future for the next one, because we know the next one will come. Who knows when, who knows what the organism will be, but it will come. 
that segues into the next question that I had for you. Your life is public health, and and what is your greatest learning from the past two years? And maybe more importantly, what should our listeners' greatest learning be? You know, from my perspective, I, I love the the disease aspect of how studying how organisms really work in the body to make you sick and how something so inconsequential as a COVID virus, a, a cold virus, can suddenly turn so lethal. And I think the whole science behind how that happens and the study of it is absolutely fascinating to me. And then to see how we were so very quickly because of all the information we already had on how to create an mRNA vaccine, it had already been used in the development of Ebola vaccine, and how we were able to take something so wonderful scientifically and turn it into a vaccine, and again, looking to the future and realizing that the development of this vaccine has really opened the door for development of more mRNA vaccines to fight other illnesses that, you know, there's a lot of virus, there's a lot of bacteria out there just waiting to cause illness in, in humans. And now with this technology, we're a lot better equipped to fight what might come along. Well, as always, Heather, thanks so much for your time. We're going to let you go. Your colleague, Dr. Amy Person, is going to be joining us in our next segment. Heather Hill with the Benton Franklin Health District. More of our program. You're listening to Cadillac On Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac On Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac On Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. We are taking a reflective look at the past two years of the COVID-19 pandemic in our community. It was two years ago this month that the Benton Franklin Health District initially set up what they call their incident command, which basically puts them basically on around-the-clock notice and in, in tracking and following all of the activities surrounding the pandemic of the past two years. And back to the phones we go, where we're pleased to welcome Dr. Amy Person. She's the health officer of the Benton Franklin Health District. And Dr. Amy, I know the signs seem promising that we can put COVID and all the variants behind us soon, but what's your take on where things stand today, first of all? Well, I'd absolutely agree, Jim, that things do look very uh, promising, um, that we are transitioning from uh, COVID being a pandemic that's disrupted all of our lives uh, to it being uh, more of an endemic, so something that's still there. Uh, but that we have learned to live with. Where do you see, I know uh, we were visiting with Heather and she was sharing where the case rates are, not not as high as they were last week, but still very high and much higher than you'd like them to be. But is is the goal that obviously as we continue to move towards spring that these numbers will just continue to go down and and with this Omicron as we're learning it's not quite as severe, so hopefully that will ease the burden on hospitals and, and the entire community with COVID. Absolutely. Um, Particularly with Omicron, uh, we're watching the numbers, but really what we're focused on is our our healthcare systems, uh, you know, holding their own, um, are the rest of our our critical businesses um, managing to stay staffed? And and that's going to be the things we'll focus on. So that's why we can tolerate um, actually quite higher case rates 
um, than we were able to even a you know a year ago or 18 months ago. Uh, so yes, very good signs. And I was going to say, I know that Governor Inslee had a press event today where he mentioned that he will be lifting the outdoor mask mandates. I think it's sometime uh, February 11th was the date that sticks in my mind. But I know what everybody wants to know. Uh, he's planning to announce when the statewide mask mandate universally will end. And so that announcement likely will come next week. You know, I asked Heather, your colleague, of her most important memories and I guess most vivid memories of the past two years. How about you? Wow. That, that's a, a lot of things to go through. Um, you know, what? I, I'll be honest, what I think about most are um, what are the lessons that um, I've learned and I hope the community learns and that will um, take away from this. Uh, you know, first and foremost to me um, was really the the struggle in public health and being able to get up to uh, – speed and get up to the the challenge of handling this pandemic um, because we have been so chronically um, underfunded. You know, historically, in this country, we do very well um, supporting public health when there are huge public health emergencies, Uh, you know, whether it's Zika virus or it was H1N1. um, But that doesn't always work that well. I mean, we don't wait until a trauma victim shows up in the emergency room to go out and then hire the surgeon. Um, we need to have all of those things in place so that we can be prepared. And to that point, I mean, I, I would say one of the memories that you think back on, and it seems like it's 10 years ago, not two years ago, but when the pandemic first evolved, the issues were just around having the necessary protective equipment, you know, gowns and masks and things of that nature. And is that what you're talking to, that our country needs to do a better job of just having this available and being ready for these what-if situations? Yes, and it's it's not just the uh, equipment. Um, honestly, public health works best when we're focusing on prevention, uh, when we're keeping things from happening. Uh, but when we're successful, I think nobody notices, right? We don't notice day to day that um, we don't have to worry about um, that our food and our water is safe to eat and drink. Uh, we don't worry normally day to day about um, are we going to be um, exposed to something um, that could make us sick. And that's public health at work. Uh, but if we don't see it, then we don't think about it being active, that it takes public health agencies, it takes work um, to make those things happen. And that means that work has to be supported even when we're not in the middle of a crisis. You know, we've become all too familiar with seeing these graphs of the past two years where we see the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs. And is that kind of how your your level of concern has risen as you look back uh, I can recall, you know, during the times of that first three or four months, this was obviously well before a vaccine, but obviously the case, cases were happening so quickly and, and hitting the most vulnerable populations. What were your, if you could, I don't know if there's one to single out in your mind, but what, what, where was your highest level of concern or when was your highest level of concern, if you could pinpoint one? You know, to me that would be, I think, very... Uh, 
hard to just find um, one level uh, because it changed throughout the pandemic. Uh, you know, in the very beginning, uh, when we were watching um, cases and and even worse than that, deaths in the uh, elderly, uh, just rising astronomically, feeling somewhat helpless. You know, how are we going to get this under control? Uh, later on, um, after kids had been out of school, when we were really looking at um, how can we get them back in school um, and do it safely. So I think throughout this, um, my concern has probably never really ebbed and flowed. I think it's probably always been fairly um, high, just <laughs> wanting to make sure that this community is going to uh, bounce back from this, not just from uh, COVID-19, but just from uh, the impacts of everything that we've had to do to try to um, get this under control. You touched on what maybe in general our country, our our, our society can learn and, and, and the, the need to be prepared for these types of situations. Is that the greatest learning just all of our listeners can take away from this of, of about having what's gone on in the last two years? I would almost say even more than that, uh, what I hope everybody really takes away from this um, is that if we don't um, think about all of us in a community, we're, we're not going to do well, um, right? So from this pandemic, um, that's what we learned. It wasn't just um, the elderly where we saw um, people, you know, dying and getting sick at higher rates than they should have. Um, it was in some of our agricultural communities, uh, some of our frontline workers, so people that um, typically had had more challenges before because of barriers, um, you know, whether economic or whether um, social, whether racism, uh, honestly, all of those things that kind of held people back from being healthy, um, that just exploded. Uh, during COVID, um, and it reminded us that if we don't take care of all of us as a community, uh, then we're all going to suffer. And, and so to me, that's really the lesson I hope people take away even after this disaster has passed, is that we need to look out for all of us. It's good not just for the community as a whole, but for each of us as individuals. We just have a few seconds left, and I'd like to leave you a little bit of time to reflect on the past two years of just your role as a public health leader and just uh, a message to the to all of the public health system, the community health system that has performed so relentlessly over the past two years? Uh, well, you know, my, I'd say my message is going to be one of uh, gratitude because there have been so many um, individuals and, and organizations, um, whether in our hospitals and our clinics, um, in our businesses, so many people uh, stepped up when when they didn't have to, and some of them stepped up just saying, I don't know how to help, but, you know, here I am. So, um, again, it's people, you know, running into a disaster while everybody else is sort of trying to 
to run away from that. And that's something that, you know, I'm always going to be grateful to this uh, community for and what I hope people, you know, do take away that um, we can take care of one another, even if we don't always agree on things. The public needs to thank you as well, Dr. Amy Person, the public health officer for Benton and Franklin County's Health District. Dr. Person, thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk again probably very soon. Back with the second half of Cadillac on Call in a moment. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program provides general information only. Any comments or information presented are strictly for educational purposes. Cadillac and 610 KONA do not endorse any of the suggestions made by the presenter or callers. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Once again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Cadillac on Call, presented by the Cadillac Foundation. We are reflecting on two years of the COVID pandemic. And it was two years ago that incident command centers were stood up here and around the state to help our community safely work its way through the pandemic. And we're fortunate to have with us now from the Washington State Department of Health, their COVID-19 incident commander, Andrew Rose. And Andrew, thanks for joining us today. We've been talking with our local public health leaders about managing the response to a pandemic. What has been the most significant challenge of doing that at a statewide level? Hey, good evening, Jim. Thanks. Yeah, and really uh, excited to be here with you tonight. Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, the, the the mental and physical and emotional roller coaster that we have gone through over the past two years, uh, not just in public health, but all of us in Washington, has been significant. Um, you know, I'm I'm so proud of the work that the amazing public health, healthcare workers, first responders, and emergency managers have done through 751 days. Um, it's just been phenomenal. And, and there's been challenges at every turn. Um, there's always been times where we've had to come together and, and discuss things in this pandemic right from the start. As you're well aware, we were the first case in, in the United States. Uh, so right off the bat, we in the state of Washington, with our local partners uh, and at the state, we're, we're trying to just come together and figure out what this was going to look like and really set the pace. And I'm proud to say that throughout this pandemic, Washington has, has continued to set that pace. And um, I think it's through the, the collaboration that we have been able to be successful. Uh, Benton Franklin counties have been great to, to partner with us uh, and have just made the health and safety of our Washingtonians uh, now and through the rest of this pandemic our first and number one priority. And I'll just say, just just to reflect a little bit, uh, as I think back, um, you know, from January 25th through May 28th of this year in Kennewick alone, we were able to give 81,715 vaccines to Washingtonians. That's amazing work to be able to protect folks from uh, the effects of of this pandemic. Uh, We know we see some light at the end of the tunnel, but we know there's a lot of work to be done. And I guess one of the big challenges, too, is, as, as you've heard from, from Heather and others on the show, not every county is in the same place. Um, we, we are constantly talking about statewide uh, trends and patterns, but know and, and can definitely continue to see that uh, every county across the state of Washington uh, tends to be in, in a different place as we move through the pandemic, but all headed in the right direction. I was going to say that was really the issue, I think, when this first came, because it hit western Washington before eastern Washington. Same 
with the Omicron variant as it surfaced. But is that what the perhaps the biggest challenge of trying to manage this at a statewide level when it, when something happens in Western Washington, which we you know we sit here in Eastern Washington, we know where the population centers are. Where where it may be appear to people as uneven, but you have to account that it's different, as you say, in every part of the state, and that's just the way this virus works. It it is it is, and I, and I think that's why it is so important, um, even two years into this, to continue just to maintain our open communication and relationships across all of our partnerships, not just in public health, but there are so many. Uh, engaged in the fight in this pandemic, uh, as I mentioned, our first responders, our healthcare workers, emergency managers, um, just continuing to communicate. We're all tired. Uh, we've all been through a lot, um, the stress of this pandemic, both professionally and personally on all of us. Um, but, you know, this this last mile, as they say, uh, in any scenario is always the toughest. But uh, I have no doubt that we will continue to rise to the occasion and, and it's just going to take that continued collaboration and, and communication to, to get us there and make us successful. You touched on probably what the high point as far as most optimistic point of the of the past two years, and I'm guessing that was the advent of the vaccine and making it av- widely available around. Where where was the in your mind the the when was when was the concern the highest among people in your world? Well, I, I think you know. If, on, on the onset of, of the pandemic, there, there was no vaccine. So, you know, the first months and, and years, so to speak, of the response for the state of Washington was was really feverishly centered around our, our non-pharmaceutical interventions and our, our key prevention strategies to try to just contain uh, the spread of the disease without, uh, you know, an early indication of when we would see vaccines. Um, you know, as with any communicable disease, that, that is our number one lifeline for uh, for help and support during an outbreak is, you know, vaccine. So, you know, those were the times where we really, really got nervous. And, and when the advent of the vaccine came out, you could just feel that sense of a little bit of relief. You know, the pandemic was still very serious, but that was that first key milestone that really helped us say, OK, we're turning a corner. We're taking a next step. Um so when the, the vaccines came out, we really encouraged folks to understand the science and safety and, and get vaccinated. You know, the next phase we're on to now is making sure folks understand to get boosted because of waning immunity from vaccines over time. And those that are immunocompromised, getting their third or fourth doses based on recommendations from their primary care physicians. Just ensuring that we always have the best way to prevent severe disease, illness, or hospitalization or unfortunate death by use of vaccine. Just a couple of minutes left, but I did want to ask you one question about what it, with an incident command at a statewide level, does that mean it's just almost like a 24-7 operation where there's always a team monitoring, or is it just, you know, I know it probably ebbed and flowed as far as the frequency and the availability of people, but give us a little insight into how that works. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. So um, it always feels 24-7, regardless of whether it is or not. That is for sure. Um, but in the early phases, you know, the way we run incident command is to to cover with rotational shifts. Um, and usually in, in disaster response, um, you're talking about duration of events that are um, hours to days. 
Um, so we're able to put people on the staffing charts to rotate through uh, usually 12-hour shifts, a day shift or a night shift, to make sure we're continually assessing our objectives and getting the work done we need to and the conditions continue to improve to what we're trying to do. Uh, but, you know, one thing this pandemic has showed us is uh, long-duration events get very tough on staff. So we have had to improvise over time, just like a lot of our local communities have with their incident management strategies, uh, and find ways to be creative with staffing and um, continue to do the work that needs to get done, but be mindful of the behavioral and mental health effects on our first responders and our, our professionals that are trying to deal with this uh, in, a, in a 24-7 fashion. I have just a minute or so left, and I'd like to have you, if you would, maybe leave a takeaway message for our listeners here in the Tri-Cities area that, uh, yes, we're hopeful, we're optimistic, maybe the masks will get to come off uh, in, in the next few weeks and months and whatnot. But what is your takeaway message uh, from your view as where we stand tonight as a state? Absolutely. On day 751, I do sit here talking to you and the listeners, very hopeful. Um, we, we now see the ability for us to move into the next phase of this pandemic. Um, we know there's a lot of work to do from a public health perspective, um, but there are opportunities for us to to see that light and, and get back to a sense of what the new normal will be in an endemic phase of living with COVID. I will say that I would be remiss if I didn't mention it, the, the best ways to continue to do that are to get vaccinated if you haven't had your primary series yet. If you have and you're at the point five months or later with a mRNA vaccine or a couple months past your J&J, get your booster, please, uh, and just be safe out there, Washington. Um, we will get through this, and you will see some improvements here in the very near future. Andrew Rose with the Washington Department of Health Incident Commander. Thanks so much for taking the time to be with us. We appreciate your time and all of our public health workers, all of our health workers across the state. We'll be back with the remaining minutes of Catholic on Call in just a minute. You're listening to Cadillac on Call on 610 KONA. This program is not a substitute for direct consultation with your own health care provider. Always consult your health care provider for your specific condition, especially if you have or suspect you may have a medical problem. Now back to Cadillac on Call. Here again, Jim Hall. Welcome back to Catholic on Call. The final piece of our program today, looking at how the pandemic response has been managed over the past two years, is a quick hospital perspective. Kathy Christensen is a nursing administrative director at Catholic Regional Medical Center, a nurse by training herself, and like our other guests, has been seeing a firsthand look at the challenge of, of overcoming this pandemic over the past two years. And Kathy, first question, a quick status report on the situation at Catholic. Is the seemingly endless strain on our hospitals hopefully beginning to ease? <laughs> Hi, Jim. I think so. I think we're starting to see, um, we have been seeing kind of a downward trend. Um, as with other variants, it's kind of a stair-step process um, for patients coming in and being discharged. But what we're seeing differently with this variant is we're seeing um, quite a few patients who are coming in for other reasons, um, and they incidentally test positive for this variant. So they tend to discharge quicker. Uh, whereas with some of the other variants, we would have very long lengths of stays for those patients. And so the patients, um, you know, build up and then you have a, a huge amount, a huge volume of those patients and a lot of care that needs to be provided to them. So this time has been a little bit different and we're starting to see some relief. So by what you're saying then is the 
people that are needing COVID is causing them to be hospitalized. And what we're seeing with this Omicron is that the people may be in for some other medical treatment that requires hospitalization, but they test positive. Is that the distinction? Yes, that's exactly exactly what I was saying. Um, you know, we have patients that come in for you know, regardless what it what it might be, they they might even break an arm or something like that. But then they are testing positive for COVID because it's so um, contagious. This is a very contagious variant. People have different uh, symptoms with it, uh, depending on their own situation. And so, we have noticed that difference with this specific strain. In contrast, if you would quickly, when the Delta was really present back in August, September, it was just the opposite, right? Exactly. Yeah, we had, you know, all of the patients that were admitted were being admitted for their symptoms of COVID. Um, all of them had a lot of respiratory issues, and um, which put a, um, a strain on our equipment, all of those things. And so <clears throat> this time we didn't, we didn't find that we had that same type of situation, which is certainly a blessing when you're trying to <laughs> take care of a lot of patients and and, uh, and the needs that they have with this variant. We've been talking tonight with the health district here in the community about their incident management team or their incident command system that they've had in effect. And then the state uh, approach with their incident command over in Olympia. Uh, and I know Cadillac has been essentially the same, but reflect back on that. I remember March of 2020, so roughly two years ago from now, it was all hands on deck then too, right? Absolutely. Um, I, I was listening also and thinking, you know, we, we were fortunate. We are a 24-7 facility already, an organization. Um, so do we have people working at all times 24-7, but leadership um, from all of the different areas, you know, it isn't just nursing or physicians. Um, it's people that take care of our supplies and our laboratory. All of those leaders were on call, you know, pretty much 24-7 for a long time at the beginning, um, you know, to get everything set up. It was pretty taxing. Um, and then with the different variants, what we found is we've, we've kept our command center up the entire time. So we've been, we've been up for two years. So we've been working with that same team. They're amazing. Um, and we, uh, we ebb and flow hopped and we meet when we were meeting with, uh, you know, the variants come in and we start to see an influx of patients. We meet more frequently discuss needs, you know, we always could meet whenever we needed to um, and have a, we send out a daily um, log to our, our leaders to let them know how we're doing in the hospital. That's been going on for two years now. Um, but really just a lot of teamwork and um, a lot of adjusting as things kind of change and, and fluctuate in how we've been dealing with the different variants. And I know another key piece of the team, you touched on all the supply chain folks, environmental services staff, and all of the, you know, they may not be the patient direct facing, but about a year ago at this time is when the vaccine was prevalent. That was another added burden that the hospital took on to have these clinics, but I'm sure that was a welcome project to be part of. Absolutely. You know, we were um, at different times of this throughout the two years, we've depended on different uh, resources within our organization. Um, all of them are important, um, but they've all had their different times where, you know, we needed them to step up and, and the vaccine administration was a huge um, undertaking. And, you know, we had leadership from our clinics and within the hospital all working together to figure out how we can accommodate that. Also, you know, during times where we were very busy, um, you know, with staffing, we didn't, it's not like we had extra staff to, to help with that, but we managed to, to recruit people and, and work really hard to do that. And it was it was a pretty fabulous um, 
a teamwork event. I'm pretty pretty proud of the way the team worked on that. And I know, especially with Omicron being so contagious, I know throughout the pandemic there have been uh, nursing leaders and other clinical folks that are more in the leadership roles, but pressed into service and 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 working in patient care areas too. I know that's a, a real meaningful part of you and your team. But maybe before we let you go, just as you reflect back on two years, what has it meant to you to, and on behalf of say the healthcare team at Cadillac? to have gone through this and hopefully we are seeing uh, some progress and we we can we can get back to a more normal life but but reflect if you would on behalf of your fellow caregivers you know as i think about this i i think about how much we've grown and learned about um covid just in general throughout throughout this journey um but i you know there's been some really positive things that have come out of it i, I they're there and I, and it's important to look for those you know, but we've also had a lot of impacts to our caregivers, uh, you know, being taxed with just the care that needed to be provided to these patients, all of the stressors to their families and their fears of exposing their families um, by working in this environment, you know, and that took its toll. And so um, they all are ready for this to be, um, you know, starting to, to be done, you know, so we can move on and just uh be getting back to where we came into medicine for, which wasn't just a singular focus on one, um, you know, disease uh, a process such as COVID. It was to focus on all of our patients. And, you know, we, we had to limit visitors. There was just a lot of things that um, for many of us uh, is, is a struggle uh, when you're trying to take care of patients in the hospital. It's stressful already and, and added um, this virus to it uh, certainly adds to the stress level. So we're looking forward to a little relief from that. Um, just to get back to the swing of normal things is whatever normal is going to be with this and, um, you know, start to recruit more staff because we are definitely, you know, facing some staffing challenges. Well, on behalf of all of the listeners of this program, thanks to you and thanks to everybody in the healthcare field for the relentless pursuit of uh, the commitment to taking care of patients. Kathy Christensen, Nursing Administrative Director at Catholic Regional Medical Center. Thanks to all of our guests and thank you for listening. We'll talk again next week.